Hey, everybody, it's Carrie Champion, and this is The Brown Print, a podcast that offers solutions and guidance for the marginalized and those who feel left out. These discussions will act as a guide to mentor those in need of direction and also to inspire those who feel hopeless. We will move the needle forward and speak out on the issues by way of dialogue and telling stories of those who need to be heard. It was crazy because when, you know, going through what I went through with the group, it wasn't easy. It was a hard time. Everything with being a teenager and being criticized. And I went through a time when I didn't really think I could make it. And and I appreciate your apology because it's just humility. And at the end of the day, we have to love and support each other. It's not easy business. And we have to uplift particularly young girls. And I think looking back, a lot of that was fear. There was so much fear put in us just oh. all around that when we look back, Girl, we're like, I know. Oh, exactly. They had me scared. They, they had, had you scared. Hey, you but know, the truth is we were kids yeah. and, you know, the adults in the situation, you know, did what they did. But thank God I'm here. Yes. We're just, you know, living, living life and moving yes. forward. Notori Naughton is an American singer, songwriter and actress. She was once known as one-third of the R&B group 3LW, which means three little women. I don't know if you guys knew that. Breaking news right now. But her acting roles are what, for me, did it. For me, her playing Little Kim and Notorious was off the charts. And at that point, I said, I am hooked. This girl's a star. I want to be her friend. But more importantly, I wanted to get to know her story. Today, we have the opportunity to do that. She was a series regular and arguably the most popular show on the Stars Network, Power. She played Tasha St. Patrick, who was married to Ghost. And well, as you know, there's a spinoff series, Power Book 2, Ghost. Tasha in the series currently is in jail, but today she joins us on The Brown Print to talk about her rise to fame, a few setbacks, and how she stayed encouraged along the way. Sit back, relax. You'll enjoy this one, as I say, every single week, but it's true. Here's Natori Naughton on The Brown Friend. First and foremost, Natari, when I when I think of people that come on this sh- podcast in particular, I try to have some t- type of rapport. If I, if I don't, it's always a great time to meet someone new. Uh, but the very first time I met you, uh, I want to say it was like 2015 at the Ween Awards. I was going to say, I feel like it was, it was, was it in Harlem? It was in Harlem at the Ween Awards. Yes. The Ween Awards. And, and I remember my first time really actually sitting and talking to you or standing and talking to you. I thought to myself, she's really a pleasure. And, and you at the time were probably most known for your role as little Kim and, and notorious. Yes. And you, I felt wanted to make it really clear that I'm an actress and that was me acting. And but you were so good at what you did. People were stopping you. It was just I had to tell you, you did this girl. You was this. You was that. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I also thought to myself, she's being she's letting us also know I am a lady. I don't play that with y'all. Don't be out here thinking I'm Lil' Kim, Lil' Kim for real. I know. And I love that about you. So with that being said, um, with all love and respect, I welcome the actress, the singer, the songwriter, Natari Naughton to the podcast, Brown Print. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I, I, oh, thank you so much for having me. I love that. I It's overdue. I, we've been trying and trying and we've bumped into each other. We've had mutual friends um, and I've always been a f- <laughs> always been a fan. I can't I was I'll get to that. Remember that time we bumped into each other in Africa? How am I bumping into somebody in Africa? Are you sure did. Uh, was that in Ghana? Ghana. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. What you doing here, Carrie? 
<laughs> you were everywhere, okay? When, we were in Africa for New Year's and it was, I mean, I had a blast. Oh my God. It, amazing. We were living our best we life. We were okay? living our best life when we could go outside. Um, but with that being said, that's so funny. <laughs> I, I'd like to know... Um, a little bit about how you grew up. From my understanding, uh, you grew up singing in the church, like many did, uh, that have beautiful voices such as yours. What was that experience like? Did you know at three years old, I'm going to be a singer? Wow. It's so funny because I currently have a three-year-old daughter and I'm thinking she all she does is sing and run around the house performing. Wow. She's already uh, a better actress than me. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, sometimes that's not always easy to deal with, but we'll get to that. But no, I, I, I would say at five years old, I was really sure that I wanted to, you know, sing and be a performer, be an artist. I knew that there was some burning desire in me. And uh, yeah, like you said, I grew up in East Orange, New Jersey, singing in my church home, New Hope Baptist Church. And there's also Whitney Houston went to New Hope Baptist Church, uh, but there's one in Newark. She went to the one in Newark. And I remember, you know, being a little girl, just emulating her, may she rest in peace, trying to be, you know, I wanted to be the next Whitney. That's everything in my life was like, I just want to be in movies. I want to do musicals. I want to, you know, uh, sing and do, you know, be an artist. So I would say five years old was the moment of realization for me. When I sang my first solo in my church, it was a song called So Good. And I was standing on like a pedestal because I was so short and so little they were like where's this big voice coming from and I remember just having two microphones taped together there's video my parents have of me like just I thought I was already with me (laughs) but um but yes that my upbringing you know my parents were super super integral in my success just because I had, you know, I have a small family. I have an older brother who's 13 years older than me. My parents who've been married for 49 years. Uh, my whole life, I was told I can do whatever I set my mind out to do. So if it was being a singer, you know, I was born in, you know, 84. And in the 90s, it was kind of like a lot of artists started, things started popping. The 90s was a, a, a good time for us, mm, you know, as brown people. Yeah. I was We had all music all cool and stuff. Shows. We had all the movies, everything. Right? So I was excited to embark on this dream of mine. And my parents put me in dance lessons. I studied piano. I did, you know, voice lessons. I was in plays. So everything kind of is because I had the support of my family, my church family, my neighborhood from East Orange, New Jersey. And, you know, thankfully I'm here today. Okay. So when you say, and this is pivotal, I think when you said something like you're, you're, you grew up knowing you could do whatever you wanted to do. I think that really changes a child's trajectory because that's how I grew up. My mother was like, what what, do you want to do that? Let's do it. You want to be this? Then just do it. That's what we're going to do. So tell me how your parents really poured into your life and to your dreams of being uh, a singer and an actress and whatever, whatever you want it to be. No. Yeah. I was like, you about to get me all all (laughs) emotional. Like I'm just so grateful for my parents. My father is a West Indian born, you know, uh, American who came from St. Croix, a very tiny Island and, 
my Nana came here when he was younger and made an amazing life and was registered nurse in Brooklyn for over 40 years. My mother's family from the South, you know, super Southern Belle, North Carolina are my roots, Raleigh, North Carolina. And, you know, it's funny because I had such a good balance. You know, it's like that Caribbean West Indian father was very strict. You better get straight A's. Like, what is this B about? Yeah. What, what's going on with this B minus yeah. or that A minus? Um, and my mom was, you know, had such good, I think, etiquette and just teaching me how to always be a lady, carry yourself with respect. So certain things, even as an artist, I never had to compromise or I never felt like it was worthy to compromise my values. You know, who I actually am is enough and it is actually more than enough. I don't have to try to be like anybody else. I don't have to, yes, I went to Catholic school my whole life. Mm -hmm. Yes, I grew up with my awesome two parents who I'm blessed for and thankful that they are still here, you know, with COVID and everything and makes you really appreciate your family. So when I was coming up, it was just like, all right, you know, if you're going to do this, you're going to do it well. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that was so supportive of me singing in talent shows all over New Jersey, I actually got discovered. I don't know if you know this. I was a national anthem singer for the New Jersey Nets. I didn't know that. So, yes, my career actually started in sports. Oh, okay, then. Yes. So basketball was actually how I got discovered because I was chosen at 13 years old from a contest. That's back when it was Continental Arena. So the New Jersey Nets, before they were the Brooklyn Nets people, Jersey had them first. Because everybody's like, oh, we're still good. Brooklyn Nets. Barclay is nothing. Continental. Go ahead. Jersey Continental Arena. But anyway, um, there was this huge concert, I mean, a contest where they chose uh, inner city kids that were teenagers up to like, I think 14 to win, to sing for the home games. I won. I became the national anthem singer for I think three or four home games for the Nets. So I'm singing at a home game. I'm 13, maybe I'm 14. And some people hear me uh, sing, obviously, and come up to my parents. And uh, my former manager was like, oh, we're putting this group together. Uh, We're trying to get a record deal. And to be honest, I never really say this, but I was like, I'm a solo artist. Like, I don't know if I can do this. But I said, you know, let's see what this group thing is about. And I went and auditioned. I sang Monica for You All Will from Space Jam, which was one of my favorite movies at that time. Mm -hmm, I loved mm -hmm. basketball. I actually was like obsessed with the Chicago Bulls. So for me, singing at the, you know, an anthem at the games, I got to meet Steph, you know, um, Stephon Marbury. I was meeting all the players and living my dreams as an up and coming singer in Jersey. So that's actually how I got discovered. So wait, so who said I want her now? And I know when you're when you get discovered, you may have very different paths in terms of getting in a group or being a solo artist. But who said you come and be with three LW? Uh, the management basically from that game. Um, I'm not going to mention her name because I don't even want to give her all that. Yeah. Okay. But the time because it was not a good situation. I, yeah. But, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> um, so, 
So yeah, so she called, she came down to I think where we were sitting after I sang and said, Hey, and they chose me literally after I think the next day I went and sang for them and I was chosen. You are gonna be in a group called Little Women. We weren't always three of W, uh, we were called Little Women because we were all tiny petite teen girls. And then the book and the movie, we couldn't use that name. Oh. So the when we got signed, they were like, Oh, you gotta switch that up. But we were like, well, we got to still be little women because we had been going with that. So we just changed it to three little women, three LW. And there you have it, a story that no one knew on the brown print. We're breaking news, okay? No one (laughs) one does know that, actually, because I don't get a chance to kind of go that far back. I love that we're taking it and taking the journey. Well, let me tell you why we got to take the journey, because I uh, had a young lady on my podcast who's absolutely amazing, as are you. And she said, you know, it's always hard to be the first because we never talk about the 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 bumps and the bruises and the and and all of that it takes when you crack these glass ceilings. Like you you get cut, you get hurt, you are Ooh. damaged. You have so much that happens when you're the first, whether it be the first in your family to do something that has never been f- done before, whether you're the first to leave a group and become your own star, whether you're the first to say, this is my path. Um, and that is why I have to ask you this. And and I'm not about the particulars, but you mentioned, and it's been well publicized that while in the group, you know, it wasn't ideal. Uh, talk to me about that experience. And when you left, how were you able to pivot at such a young age? Um, I honestly, it, it's like, by the grace of God, honestly, uh, sometimes I feel like I should have had maybe I could have had a nervous breakdown. I could have been somewhere, you know, turning to other things or alcoholism or whatever it is just to get through some of the emotional damage, to be honest. Um, the way I got through that was really just, you know, going back to being a normal person. Like I went to college, I went to Seton Hall University because at the time when the group broke up, I was 18. And I knew I had to make a choice in which direction I wanted my life to go. So I was like, you know what? I'm smart. I could do this. Like, I'm going to go to college and possibly be a lawyer. I studied political science. I was top of my class, straight A student. I always said that I had more to offer than being just the girl from that group. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? So I think for me... I had to pivot my mentality first and not worry about everyone else's expectations of me. You know, when people are like, well, what happened to you in 3LW or what happened to this? Or I just saw you on TRL and now you sitting here in class with me. And I was like, yeah, because I got to get my education. Yeah. Like, I'm still going to do me. So I think also one of the key points in pivoting was recognizing that my talents didn't have to be limited to just the record business. Like when you are talented and I always prided myself on being multi-hyphenate, multi-talented, you know, triple threat. So it came, you know, through a friend of mine. It was like, you know, you could probably do theater and do Broadway. And after that group, I just realized, oh, I'm more than what they said I was. I'm more than what they tried to tell me I wasn't. I can do so much Uh, more than I even realized. And it took me separating myself, going to college, hanging out with normal other 18, 19 year olds that were not selling a platinum album at that time, Mm -hmm. you know, getting my first car and and having an accident in it, doing, (laughs) making mistakes 
and in New Jersey, just trying to build myself back up. So I think a lot of that comes from family encouragement, you know, school, my church, my faith in God. I really, and then also being able to pivot myself into musical theater. So if it wasn't for Hairspray, I don't even know if I would have ever come back into the business. In all honesty, Hairspray is the, it was like the, the gear shift that pulled me into the direction as an actress. That's Are what you, really did it. Uh, now, before I go into you pivoting in terms of hairspray and becoming the phenomenal actress you are, I'm just writing down some notes here. And I and I have to ask you, whenever we go through something traumatic, I know for me at least, um, and I leave something, like me leaving ESPN and people are like, why you leave? What you doing? Why you leave? Why you leave? And you become so identified with something for so long, it's hard for people to see you differently. What damage or what insecurities were brought up when you had to talk about why you left and how how did you have to keep telling yourself don't think like that whatever it was you were thinking yes and the same for what you were just saying about yourself I've been following you know I follow you on Instagram I follow your career and I just want to say big ups to you sis for real because you. you really are an example of stepping out on faith having confidence of what you bring to the table and not letting other people. So thank you. Thank you, father. Yes. (laughs) Not easy. I know. Oh girl. Um, So I I would just say how I dealt with that because a lot of people were like, you stupid. Y'all just like, what you doing? You can't leave. Y'all just came out with an album and y'all sold a million records. But if my spirit and my heart and my mind are good, nothing in this world can suffice. Like nothing will suffice or supplement true joy and true contentment. Mm-hmm. Like that's just real. Mm-hmm. And again, this all goes back to how I was raised. Mm-hmm. Thank you, mommy and daddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they really put me, it was like all these lessons that just got stored in my heart. So when people do say those things, you know, why did you make a decision and it does bring up insecurities to your point because then you're like, well, dang. Did I mess up? Did I do the right thing? <laughs> Am I crazy? Is it right? I'm sorry, I'm giving you because this is really what I do. I'm like, am I crazy? No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm right there. I'd be like, you in the quiet moments, you'd be like, wait, did, wait, was that right? I, okay, it was right. <laughs> So you know how that is. And I think those insecurities are feeling like, am I going to be able to do this on my own? Mm -hmm. Am I going to be able to rebuild my, you know, kind of my image or my brand or whatever it is? So I kind of think it's part of life. And I just started to realize like, oh, I'm glad I went through that Mm -hmm. because it made me have to deal with myself. If I don't ask myself, are you good, sis? Are Are you okay? Are you confident? Mm-hmm. You got what it takes, girl. Yes, you do. <laughs> I know it looks crazy, but sometimes you do have to really have a little chat. Like, come on over here, Carrie. Yeah. Come over here, attorney. We don't have to have a chat with you. Yeah. Talk to yourself. Talk yourself out of whatever it is, because we talk to ourselves more than anybody else. We be in our head all day long, right? All the time. Okay. So I, um, you said hairspray. If it wasn't for hairspray, you don't think that you would have went back to acting. And, and that would have been a loss for us, more specifically the culture. Um, so I'm so glad that you decided to do that. Let's talk about acting. 
um, because you are clearly known to me and to so many people. You, you blessed us with Little Kim and Notorious, and that was really, um, I think, a game changer. But for you personally, in terms of what really, for you, decide, you decided, oh, let me take this seriously, was Hairspray. Talk to me about that. You know, um, Hairspray was really the pivotal shift for my career uh, as far as like, realizing that I can do this and I don't have to just be in the record business to do it. You know, it was almost like a whole new world, like true Aladdin style. I was like, oh, it's a whole new world. I can really <laughs> do all three of my talents because I pride myself on being a triple threat. And what Harrisburg did is affirm me. It really gave me that like boost of like, oh, the, seeing the reactions of people, the joy in people's faces every night when you're on stage, live theater mm-hmm. is amazing. And literally doing eight shows a week, you know, only dark on Mondays, Tuesday through Sunday. I loved it. A lot of people are like, oh, that schedule is crazy. It's exhausting. I loved each and every moment because to me, It just gave me a chance to live my dreams and do everything that I always wanted to do. Well, speaking of everything you wanted to do, you gave the world something they didn't know they needed. And that was Little Kim. When you did that role, and I know you personally a little bit, were there any misgivings or any level of uncomfort playing Little Kim and and, and Notorious at all? So, yes. There were some, you know, discomfort or just like, oh, like, how am I going to do this? Because I'm I'm also like kind of a conservative girl. Like, I, you know, I'm yes, just, that's exactly. what I'm getting at. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm getting at. Like yeah. Is, and you know, uh, just from us uh, kind of knowing uh, each other over the, the years, I'm okay. super like the girl who, you know, went to Catholic school. I never thought I'd be in a movie showing my titties. OK. <laughs> but there they were there they were front and center so for me it was definitely like what is happening but I, I think and also just the judgment of people saying oh if little Kim wasn't happy with the role and, you know and people thinking that I couldn't oh, be little Kim because I, I didn't that. look like her exactly but let, let's go back to Malcolm oh, X and Denzel yeah. Washington Nah. He's about three shades darker and it's totally different. But when you embody a character, it really is embodying yeah. the character. You know what I mean? You, I, uh, listen, you couldn't tell me nothing. I was like, she little Kim, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Thanks, girl. So uh, some of the hard parts uh, are the judgment when you're playing a real life person. But honestly, I was proud uh, of myself. I, I came out of that role feeling mm. really like, okay, when you decide to take on whatever, however gritty the role is, if it's nasty, be nasty. If the person is raw, be raw. If somebody's, you know, playing a killer or a cutthroat gangster, you got to be that, you know? And I think instead of judging the character, you should just embody the reality of what the character is going through. You said you have to be that. It's so interesting because I have had, and I say this to anybody I know who's an actor, I have the utmost respect for what you do because jumping in and out of character, being yourself, playing someone else, arguably one of the most difficult things, I think, and people take it for granted because if, if it seems effortless, they don't know how hard you work yes. at it. And I know that it is a labor of love. How difficult is it to be a Black woman in Hollywood, trying to make 
your own lane and not be the person that, oh, that black girl's already taken. That black girl's already taken. They put a black girl in that, so you can't be in that. How difficult is it to be in Hollywood and embrace your brownness, if you will? Yeah, that is such a great question, Carrie. Thank you for asking it because <laughs> it's it is challenging. And I think a lot of times, you know, we forget that we still are fighting to be seen equally. We're still fighting for roles mm-hmm. and put pinned against each other. A lot of times what I didn't like as a Black actress, particularly a brown-skinned woman in this industry, is we were all, you know, they, they kind of pin the shade of Blackness against each other. And, you know, to, to be candid with you, I was up for a role, a movie some time ago, and it's fine. It worked out. Thank God I didn't get it. I got power instead. But it's just funny being told, oh, you mm-hmm. know, we want a Black girl, but, you know, we're just looking for a little bit more ambiguously ethnic. Like, she's just a little too Black. What the hell you mean I'm too Black? Like, what? I'm just black. Like, what are you talking about? So I think, um, you oh know, obviously, God. you know, I feel as a black wi- woman, uh, a, you know, this the shirt, but it, it really is about making sure we are multidimensional characters. So I think it is a sometimes struggle to not just be the best friend of the main character or the quirky or the girls like, yeah, girl, you know, why do we always have to fit in that stereotype? So I'm I'm just saying Hollywood had to wake up and be pushed along because they were not going to do it if we didn't say you must respect our existence and you must write characters. And if we as creators, Courtney Kemp from Power, she created Power and she's a black woman. A lot of people think a man wrote that show. And I'm like, no, it's amazing to see how a lot of times we have to step into those roles as the leaders, the writers, the producers to make a difference. You understand what I'm saying? So I think um, it's still a journey, but we're coming, it's coming together. Well, I, I'm a big believer in being the change you'd like to see because we can't wait. We can't, Amen. we can't wait on them to give us nothing. So we have to do it ourselves. And, and I think, I think when you say multidimensional, uh, you know, and I'm going here, I'm saving my roundup here, not necessarily the best for last, but I'm saving it. Power, that's, Tasha is multidimensional in every aspect. She is. Yo, I'm all like, we could have full on, this is, this is how, and you're, you know this, right? I know you know this, but I'm going to tell you. Sunday comes, we watch in power and there will be Full on fights over whose side we on, based off just yo. <laughs> just the script. whole culture is like deeply into it. People's households we are. It's like the vote count right now. It's like split down the middle. The votes are in. It's crazy. (laughs) That is the most accurate. Like you, that is not a lie. How does it feel to be a part of or been a part of power? And now obviously um, power, it's part two. Wait, you, I want to say you're in jail now, right? So how does it feel to be a part of the first, the first power, that first generation of this icon for our folks? This is a cultural icon for us. It's epic. It is. It is epic. And it does feel like an honor, a blessing, unreal, surreal to be a part of power, you know, particularly the first chapter, the power that we all grew to love yes. for six seasons, six and a half seasons. It's, it's so unbelievable because I feel like 
I have literally done something that will forever be marked in a, in the culture, in history of television. You know, we may not have gotten recognized by some of the organizations out there that, you know, continue to shade us and ignore us as if we don't exist, <laughs> but we do exist. And our fans <laughs> and our numbers and our ratings speak for it themselves. So I just feel like for mm-hmm. me, Power was the show that people were like, wait, what? What's power? Who stars? Where is stars? How do I get stars? The network. You, y'all put stars on the map. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm, I'm just, you know, keeping it real. And, and I know stars recognizes that we literally were the engine and that gave yeah. life to the vehicle of the network. And for me to have Omari Hardwick, who was amazing to play my TV husband, all my friends were like, girl, you lucky you get he fine. I'm like, I know, right? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I think it it is amazing to, to build something from the ground up and watch, you know how you can watch something, it's like a seed and it just touches people more and more. And before you know it, the world is really truly even in Africa when we saw each other. I was, I mean, I was in Ghana and people were like, mm-hmm. Mrs. Ghost, it's Mrs. Ghost. <laughs> and I was like, Yes, it is me, it is I. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm an actress. I don't forget. But you know, I was so impressed that power had reached and touched people all over the world, girl. So <laughs> it's an amazing feeling. <laughs> okay. Wait, I don't know. Can you? I'm still laughing because you are funny. <laughs> yeah, no, they really did. When I was in the airport going to Nigeria, they were like, it is Mrs. Ghost. It is. And I said, yes, it is. Can I get to the front of the line? <laughs> we need to do dinner and drinks. Please, can we please? I'm dead. Come, come to Brooklyn. <laughs> yes, we come can. Come to Brooklyn. <laughs> Ow, my stomach hurts. But do you think, <laughs> let's, okay, gather, Carrie. Can you tell me what you think power means to the culture? Like if you had to describe what that experience was for us watching every Sunday, being able to tune in every Sunday to see all the different shades, all the different characters, all the different aspects of who we are as a community. What does it mean to us? I think what it means to the culture and many people who fell in love with power is feeling seen and heard. I think feeling seen in all of our multi-dimensions, you know, even our Latina characters, being able to show the diaspora as Black people, as people of color, mm-hmm. as women of color, you know, and, and having a Black female lead and a Black male lead like Omari myself, it really, I think the show will always go down in history as, oh, that's somebody I know from my hood, or that's me, or that's my uncle. Or yes. When you feel connected, or that's my relationship. That's my, exactly. I, I hope your marriage was not. <laughs> I would not wish that on. Anybody. Yeah, or something. Anybody, but yeah. But yes, you see a little bit of yourself or your relationship. So to me, yeah, I think people feeling like, oh, the culture is forever changed because they represent us. They spoke like us. They talk like, dress like us. You know, Tasha's wardrobe alone was everything. Hmm. And, you know, a lot of times when you think of a show, you remember like, oh, remember that time, you know, so-and-so came with that thing or whatever, you know, whatever they wore and how their lipstick or their hair, it it makes the statement 
also in our fashion, in our music, in the culture, in how we speak. People were creating gifts and memes about Tasha, about Tariq, about me being in prison with the cornrows now. Now I'm in Power Book 2, Ghost in prison. You know, Tasha's come, she has fallen from grace, people. And um, I think it's just been, it's been a great ride. It really has. I am so happy for you. And I'm going to tell you why I, my humble opinion, why I think Tasha is so loved. um, Because she loves she just loves really hard and mm, she loves hard uh, right but you have that that same spirit of of genuine love and kindness and it translates that's easy so that's not necessarily hard in terms of acting because you do you do give that and so i am i am so proud of you as if you know i didn't know you from afar and i i'm just proud of how you move and how you represent yourself on and off camera you really it's really a pleasure to see and i want you to tell me if you had any advice uh because there's so many young actresses coming up and they look at you and they just wish they could be you you that power is their bodyguard what are you going to tell them oh for all those out there you know, that maybe looking up to me or feeling like, oh, I want to be like you and inspiring to be, have your own little Tasha in your pocket and you're ready to unleash her, unleash Tasha mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. But anyway, um, I would just say um, to recognize that I am just like you, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I really think people think like, oh, we have some special juice that we drink. No, we really just stay committed. We had failures. I did. I have been kicked down, knocked down, told it was enough, got back up, knocked down again, got back up again. I have been through different things that you will also go through people. So recognize that it's not the, you know, the the road less traveled or the easier route to success. It's just your journey is unique. Mm. So don't try to be like, you know, me or be like what you see or, oh, I'm going to do what Beyonce or Rihanna or, you know, Taraji or Terry Norton does. See, you find out what makes you unique and live that out and just embrace that fully because that's going to be the message that you leave behind, your legacy. One day people might be asking you the same thing. So for all those who are aspiring to be in this position or, you know, even admire your career, uh, Carrie, I think it's about everyone recognizes that we all had to put in that work. We all had to take some no's when we really were really, really praying for it. Yes. But it's okay. You just keep going and push through. You are a true reminder of why we need to protect our Black women. Atari Naughton on the brown print, y'all. Thank you so much for joining us, beautiful. Of course. Natori Naughton is such a talented young lady. Like I said, I first loved her when she played Little Kim in Notorious. I don't know about y'all, but that's when I really fell in love. Uh, but many of us came to know her in 3LW, and it is widely known that that was a difficult time for her. And when she decided to leave, she had to pivot mentally. That was one of my biggest takeaways. A mental pivot is arguably one of the toughest things you'll ever have to do. And she had to tell herself, trust your gut. You're making the right decision. Don't let anyone talk you out of this. And I think it worked out for her. Something else that she embraced, well, that was all her talents. She considers herself a triple threat. Oftentimes, people will try to put you in a box. Do not limit yourself. Be the change you want to see. She makes that example in saying, hey, if there are no roles for me in Hollywood, why not create the roles? Why not be the producer? Why not be the director or the writer? 
Be the change that you want to see so that you don't have to limit your talent. And last but not least, this is very clear, if not true, for just about every person that I know. Progression is not always a straight line. A setback is oftentimes a setup. When she left the group, 3LW, they were considered one of the best at the time, extremely popular. She went back to school, enrolled into college at Seton Hall, became, quote unquote, a regular student, and she decided to take a moment off, recover, check in on herself, decide what she wanted to do. And that was good. That mental break set her up for so much success later in life and ultimately brought us Tasha from Power. You know we love Tasha from Power. I'm Carrie Jambia. Thank you so much for listening to The Brown Print. That's it for this week's episode of The Brown Print. Let's keep the conversation going online. You know I love to go online. Follow us on Instagram at The Brown Print Podcast and on Twitter at Brown Print Pod. Follow me, Carrie Champion, on IG and Twitter. You can find me at Carrie Champion. Don't at me if you got attitude. Well, okay. We'd love to hear your feedback. Or if there's a specific topic you want us to tackle or guests that you want us to have on, please reach out to the brownprintpod at gmail.com. Again, at brownprintpod at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. It helps spread the word. It is so important that we stay active and vocal. We'd greatly appreciate it if you showed us some love by leaving a five-star rating and a positive review. If you do not, I know you are a hater. Haha, <laughs> kidding, kind of. Not really. Meanwhile, uh, again, five-star rating and positive review. We need it. It really helps the podcast grow. The Brown Print is a Gallery Media Group original production.